Boys and girls, here we are once again. Time for another episode of the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast. Thank you for continuing to tune in. Otherwise, I'm essentially talking to myself, and that's just crazy. I want to give a quick update on the computer. So the new computer running awesome, running super fast. It's making life very easy. As a matter of fact, last week I was able to record and fully edit and release my episode of the podcast in just two nights. Normally that is about half the amount of time it takes me. So I think the speed at which the computer is operating during the editing process. Now, granted, last week's episode was shorter than most. That probably helped a little bit. But I do think the speed of the computer is having a big impact on the amount of time it's taking me to do things. Yay! I will say that here in Ohio, we have been having some insanely, insanely hot days for this time of year. Usually, you know, the 90s or let alone the heat index over 100, that doesn't really start to hit until maybe late July, early August. That's usually the sweet spot for that. However, here in just the first few weeks of June, we have already had multiple days that were over 110 degrees with the heat index. Ah! Additionally, last week, American Electric Power here in Ohio, there was an issue from some storms that came through, and they ended up shutting off power to a large portion of people in and around the area for some of them as long as three days during a heat wave when the heat indexes were up over 110 degrees. Shame on you, AEP. Shame on you. But even the last two days here have been, I mean, I know today the heat index at one point was saying that it was felt like it was 103 degrees out there. So pretty toasty for mid-June. I am kind of concerned what late July, early August is going to be like if this is mid-June. Another quick update I want to provide is I know uh, recently on an episode, I was letting you guys know that I am was taking and compiling information and bullet points from a lot of the podcasts I've done, and I was working on a nonfiction book using a lot of the points and things that I've said from the podcast to put into a print form. And while I have continued to work on that, and for some reason a few days ago, probably because I've been transferring files, you know, and recovering stuff from my old computer, maybe I saw something that reminded me about a fiction novel that I had started several years ago. And I mean, I don't know, I maybe had 15, 20 pages written max, but it was a really good book, a really good premise. And luckily, because it takes place in the future, it's not like the fact that it has sat for three years untouched that anything, you know, would need rewritten. So I decided the other night, hey, I'm just going to, you know, kind of go reread what I have so far and then just start, you know, just seeing if any more of the story comes to me. Holy shit, have I been on a tear. I want to say I've probably come close to tripling the amount that I had written just a few days ago when I opened the file for the first time in years. So, I mean, technically, I'm probably somewhere between 40 to 50% complete through the novel. I probably started at around a 12, 13% point when I opened it up the other day. I'm really excited about this book. It's one that I really loved the idea. I think it's a very cool story. I think it has the capability of being converted into a film. However, you know, that's also going to depend on if I try and go the route of finding a literary agent or do I just self-publish on Amazon because that is a very realistic possibility now. It's kind of the same as what I do with the podcast, with my music. I don't wait anymore to get a record deal. I record my shit and I release it on my own. I'm not waiting for someone to sign a contract with me at Sirius XM to give me my own radio show. Instead, I just do my podcast and I release it whenever the hell I want. And I'm not dependent on anyone. Also means I can't be canceled. I can't be fired. I mean, technically, if I said something horribly atrocious, yes, some of the podcast providers could choose to pull my podcast from their platform or pull certain episodes, which we know, you know, like Spotify or other companies have done in the past. It's the beautiful world of censorship that we live in right now, people. But just wanted to let 
let you know that I am on pace right now to potentially finish writing this novel in just the next two to three weeks. Now, at that point, I will have to go through. There will be a very, very thorough editing process, which will involve going through the book multiple times, perhaps giving it to someone else to go through and make sure they don't catch something. Because sometimes it's not even a matter of trying to find a misspelling or poor grammar. It's finding continuity like, oh, did I, you know, maybe since it's in the future, there's fictitious names for products or things. Did I call it something at one point in the book and call it something else at another point in the book? Or did I bring up some major aspect of a plot line that for some reason down the road I completely forgot to follow up on and at that point maybe I should just go remove it from earlier in the book? I know all this because I did write a full-length novel, oh, I want to say probably during the year 2002, I'm guessing, and it took me like eight months to write. You know, the rule of thumb I always heard back then was try to force yourself to write 1,000 words per day. Don't do a page count, do a word count. I will tell you that since starting up on this book again recently, I am averaging well over 3,000 words per day, and that's with doing other shit, working my job, doing podcast prep, and now recording and editing the podcast, so it is flying out of me. But this is something I'm very excited about, and unlike, you know, the nonfiction book based on a lot of the stuff I've discussed in the podcast, where I told you, you know, as listeners of the podcast, you probably wouldn't really need to buy the book, because you probably heard the majority of the stuff that would be in the book, because you listen to the podcast, hopefully, regularly. But this book will be something absolutely y'all should buy. Put some money in my pocket, please. So, before we get to today's topic, which may be a little bit controversial at times, not a shocker when it comes to the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast, I do want to do a quick update on last week's episode, Gas Pains, talking about the ridiculously high gas prices. So, I saw an article today while I was waiting for my first student to arrive at the school about how Biden is asking for, I don't remember the exact term they use, but like a gas tax vacation. I don't remember what the hell it was called, but basically for three months, he wants the federal federal government to turn off the federal tax on gas, and he encourages states to do the same, because honestly, between federal and state taxes, approximately 50 cents per gallon that we're spending on is going into taxation. So think about that. When gas prices were down around $2 a gallon a couple years ago, almost 25% of every gallon that you were buying was just being, was just for taxation, not the actual gas. That's ridiculous. The federal gas tax right now, I want to say is 18.5 cents per gallon. That's a lot. I also want to point out that, you know, Biden wanted to complain and say that Exxon, and I kind of defended him a little bit in my last episode, and unfortunately with him bringing up, you know, reducing or eliminating the federal taxes on gas to help the American people, it actually brought some more stuff to light, which now I can't defend him as much because he wanted to bitch and say, well, Exxon made more money than God last year. Well, guess what? The federal government made close to $50 billion in revenue last year just off of gasoline taxes. That's a lot of money. And don't forget, they're also taxing our income. They're also taxing everything that we buy or purchase. They're taxing investments that we make or withdraw. They are dipping into our pocket every opportunity they get, and then they want to turn around and point the finger at large corporations and big business when they are no better, if not worse. Because at least with big businesses, we do have a choice, you know, to not buy from a certain business. Or, you know, we technically would have a choice right now to use the bus, ride a bike, not use your car, if that is in any way an actual realistic option, depending on where you work, where you live, and how close they are together. We do have options as to what we spend our money on in regards to the private sector. However, we have no choice in what the federal government does when they bend us over, reach into our pooper, and take whatever they want out of us as often as they want. Also want to point out that Biden keeps referring to the reason you know, that we're all, as Americans, we're all suffering due to, and I quote, Putin's price hike, I believe is what he called it. He's blaming everything on Putin and the war in Russia. I will tell you that the last article I read just a little bit ago was stating that Russia is actually making twice as much money in revenue off of oil that they're selling to Europe or European countries since the war started because the price of oil has gone up so much that they're making a shit ton. You know, we turned off the pipeline. We said we're not buying any gas from Russia as long as this war continues. We clearly did not hurt them in any way, shape, or form. We have only hurt ourselves. So bad decision. If I were 
America, I would say, you know what? Fuck it. We're just going to start buying from Russia again. Nothing's changing. I'm sure there are plenty of other things that we are still in cahoots with Russia on, on certain products. Oil was just the big one where it seemed like we were just going to cripple and punish them. But the fact is, is we were able to do that. Other European countries, they didn't have that luxury. They needed the oil from Russia because Russia is one of the major providers to those countries. They weren't able to turn it off despite the fact that they think that what Putin is doing is crazy and despicable. So America, just trying to be the country full of principles, has been the one to shoot themselves in the foot. And again, we only got 8% of our oil from Russia. How is it that we have seen more than a double increase by simply turning off 8% of our imports? The math does not add up. Also, I want to say right now, the average over the course of this year price of a barrel of gas is, I want to say, like around $101, $102 per barrel. Back in 2013, the price of a barrel of oil, when it was pretty much as high as it's ever been other than right now, was around $97 to $98 per barrel. That's not a very big difference, just a few dollars per barrel. Why weren't gas prices anywhere close to $5 back in 2013, let alone, you know, even close to 6 or 7 in some states in the country? Again, doesn't add up people and both federal and state governments shame on you you greedy pieces of shit for putting almost a 50 cent combined per gallon tax on the american people to buy something that you know they absolutely fucking need and that is gasoline don't feel like whenever you get a stimulus or a tax break or something like that that it's some magnanimous gesture by the government no they're just giving you back a small fraction of the money that they have already bent you over and pulled out from deep inside your pooper. So all that to say, I want to retract some of the defending that I did of our government last week on the episode, because now with all of this information coming to light, I am realizing the government has a much bigger hand and involvement into why we're paying so much at the pump. Federal government, go fuck yourselves. All right, so getting to today's topic, which again will be somewhat controversial with some people. I'm pretty sure that if you're a regular listener, none of this is going to come across as shocking to you, but I'm sure there are people that enjoy my podcast that are Christian or religious, doesn't even have to be Christian, any religion, that still enjoy my podcast and are able to kind of just let things, you know, roll off that they disagree with or that I take a hardline stance on as somebody who is a non believer. However, this has been a topic that has been on my radar to do for quite some time, and it is time. Why? Because I don't have any other fucking ideas at the moment. And of course, as you can see from the title in your little podcast feed right now, this one is called Noah, 72 Virgins, and Other Fairy Tales. Yes, because I believe that a large majority of things in the Bible, the Torah, the Quran, any biblical book or religious book is absolute fiction and fairy tale. It is fable. It is there to tell a story to try and create some kind of moral sense for people and to keep people in line. But don't worry, you know Jeff, I went and did plenty of research. I'm going to back up, you know, this idea that I have with a lot of fact, a lot of science. I have a lot of people in my family that are very religious. My father, who passed away a couple years ago, very religious, born-again Christian. The last girl I dated, she tried to be very Christian, and I tried to go back to church for the first time in many years until I immediately saw the hypocrisy of it all. And I'm like, how do people like actually consider every single word in the Bible to be 100% a literal representation of history or a story about something that actually happened and not just stories. So before we get into all of that controversial religious shit, let's just start with the concept of a fairy tale. What is a fairy tale? So I will tell you that pretty much every fairy tale is known to have five basic elements. One, a moral lesson. Two, characters. Of course, you have to have characters to tell a story. Three, magic and or talking animals. Four, obstacles or tasks. And five, happily ever after. Does that kind of sound like the Bible to you? Well, let's, let's think about the Bible. Is there a moral lesson in the Bible? Of course. It's trying to make everybody follow this religion and follow the word of God in order to be better people or moral people. Are there characters in the Bible? Oh, there's a shit ton of characters in the Bible. Is there magic or talking animals in the Bible? Yes, there are both. You might say, I don't remember any talking animals in the Bible, Jeff. Oh, did you not hear about the snake that made Eve eat an apple? Was there magic in the Bible? Oh, there's plenty of magic in the Bible. And by magic, I mean shit 
shit happening that would not be able to happen under normal scientific conditions. You want an example? Oh, I don't know. A guy being dead for a few days and then having the strength to not only come back to life, but push a giant rock away from an opening and then just disappear. Or walking on water, turning water into wine, turning bread into fishes. Kind of sounds a little like magic to me. Obstacles or tasks. Of course, yes, the Bible is filled with obstacles and tasks. Kind of like when God instructed Abraham to take his son up onto a mountain and sacrifice him, which he said, okay. And right when he was about to plunge the knife into his crying son's chest, he was like, daddy, why? A goat magically appeared, and now that would be the sacrifice. God was just testing him. So there was an obstacle or a task or both. And happily ever after. Of course, yes, if you do everything you're supposed to do, you get to go live in heaven for all of fucking eternity. Talk about ever after. And you get anything you want. Everything is amazing. All the food is the best. The music is the best. You can do whatever you want. That is the definition of happily ever after. So let's be clear. The Bible, at least the Christian Bible that I am very familiar with, absolutely meets all five of these standard elements of a fairy tale. One other thing I want to point out that is very common to fairy tales is that they start out with the phrase, once upon a time. The Bible does not start out with once upon a time, but I'm pretty sure that like the first three words are in the beginning, which if you think about it, once upon a time in the beginning, those kind of mean the same thing. So yeah, very fairy tale like beginning to the Bible. So, you know, we now have in literature, we have the genre of fantasy books or fantasy writing novels, short stories, whatever. Prior to the fantasy genre being created, I want to point out that books like The Hobbit or The Wizard of Oz, those were actually considered fairy tales because they met these criteria. Now, you would be you would never think of The Hobbit as a fairy tale at this point or The Wizard of Oz for that matter. But think about it. They meet all of the criteria. But there were no talking animals in Wizard of Oz. Oh, no? What about the cowardly lion? Oh, yeah. I haven't any courage at all. I even scare myself. <laughs> Look at the cycles under my eyes. I haven't slept in weeks. <laughs> Why don't you try counting sheep? That doesn't do any good. I'm afraid of them. <laughs> so getting into the history or the origin of fairy tales, they pretty much originated as oral stories that were passed down in European cultures. And this was, you know, prior to written literature actually capturing and distributing or publishing any of these stories. And some of these stories go back as far as, you know, as far as they can trace them to like 100 or 200 AD. So a long time ago. And then, of course, you know, it's like the, oh, I don't remember what it's called, like maybe the grapevine or the telephone game, but where you, you know, whisper a phrase or something into someone's ear, then they turn and quickly whisper it into someone's ear and they keep going around the circle. And the idea is that by the time it gets to the last person, they have a whole different phrase. Like it's changed because they heard something slightly different. And then the next person heard something slightly different. And it's like, ha 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 ha, that's so different than what it started out as. But of course, you know, with some of these stories, that started in 100 or 200 AD, I'm sure many of them changed over time and generations and, you know, even just different regions of the world. So now let's, you know, jump ahead to the mid-1600s, known as the Salon Era. Yes, so I guess people spent a lot of time getting their hair and their nails did. But in the mid-1600s, aristocratic French women would gather in salons or homes and they would play these parlor games where they would have to tell stories based on old oral folk tales that they had grown up hearing. And the idea was for each woman to try and showcase their creativity or ability to incorporate that older folk tale into modern day life. And of course, because these were women or sometimes even, you know, young ladies, a lot of times those stories involved, you know, girls whose lives were controlled by the mad whims of fathers, kings, wicked fairies. And of course, you know, you had wise fairies that were essentially like intelligent, independent women. So a lot of these fairy tales involved a female character either being held down by a mad man, father, king, etc., or fairies that, you know, were very strong, powerful women. Finally, in the, I want to say the 1700s, a collection of these Salon era stories were finally documented and published in a French work, not sure if I'm pronouncing 
pronouncing this correctly, Le Cabinet de Frias. It's probably very wrong, but that means the Cabinet of Fairies. And it was a huge collection of stories told over the 16 and 1700s. Then let's fast forward to the early 1800s where the Brothers Grimm started to print and publish works of oral folk tales, but these were German folk tales, not French. They would actually go out of their way to exclude any of the French fairy tales from their works if they felt that it had a French origin. Nope, not allowed in my book. Nine! And actually, originally, fairy tales were written primarily for an adult audience. There was probably a big difference in how things were separated between being delivered for kids or adult as far as content went. We didn't have the Disney Channel or things like that. Kids were less pampered back then. They just basically got a lot of the same shit that adults got. But it wasn't until the 19th and 20th centuries that fairy tales really finally started to become geared more towards children. And because of this, there were a lot of really dark things that were part of the original fairy tales. Like one thing is the absentee mother. And this is still relevant in a lot of the retellings of those older fairy tales like Beauty and the Beast, Little Red Riding Hood, The Little Mermaid, Cinderella, where there was no mother to be found. Maybe sometimes a stepmother, but she was usually wicked. There was a lot of violence and sexuality in these old fairy tales. Many of them included things like murders, violence. Now, of course, they were rewritten over the years to be more appealing to children, but kind of along the lines of some of our religious texts, I also think things have kind of been rewritten over the years to become a little more palatable or marketable. A lot of us, when we think about fairy tales, might think about Mother Goose or even just straight up Disney movies. I will say that Mother Goose was aimed primarily at children because it was released later and typically tended to be written in a stanza format, so kind of like a poem, hence why they were called nursery rhymes because they were basically poems for little kids or babies. I looked through a list of very popular Mother Goose nursery rhymes. Some of the most popular Mother Goose nursery rhymes would include Baba Black Sheep, Itsy Bitsy Spider, Hickory Dickory Dock, Humpty Dumpty. Jack and Jill, Jack be nimble, Little Bo Peep, Little Miss Muffet, London Bridge is falling down. That sounds horrifying, Jeff. Mary had a little lamb, and her vagina was never the same. Now I lay me down to sleep. We all think that that's like a prayer. It's not. It's a Mother Goose nursery rhyme. Ring around the rosy, which also is kind of dark. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. Roses are red. Row, row, row your boat. Starlight, star bright. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Let's look at some of the very popular Mother Goose nursery rhymes that, to me, sound a little X-rated. Dance to your daddy. Diddle, diddle, dumpling. Hot cross buns. Humpty Dumpty. Yes, that made both lists. Come on. I had a little nut tree, Jack Spratt, little Jack Horner, Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater, Pop Goes the Weasel, Ride a Cock Horse to Banbury Cross, Rub-a-Dub-Dub, Wee Willy Winky, and Yankee Doodle. So let's switch from fairy tales and look at fables. So a fable is typically a short story that uses animals as characters and, again, tries to convey a moral. And considering the fact that fables include these two aspects, talking animals and morals, they would make them kind of a subclass of fairy tales. Granted, they might not involve other things like magic or, I guess, what you would call characters, despite the fact that the animals themselves would be the characters. But, like I said, just like fairy tales, you know, it's all about teaching a moral lesson, creating a sense of control over natural human animalistic instincts, And let's be real, people. We, as humans, are animals. 
We like to think that we're way better than animals, but to be honest, we are way more terrifying and destructive than any other species on the planet. Just because we can communicate, we can talk, we can write, and we can understand our own mortality, that does not take away our animal status. For example, like watch two drunkards in a bar get into a fight over a woman. Tell me if that looks more human or more animalistic. Or take two drunkards and watch them fucking and tell me if that looks more human or more animalistic. One of the most famous fable storytellers was a Greek fable writer, Aesop, and in 1484, a man, William Caxton, printed the first English translations of Aesop's fables. Some of the more famous of Aesop's fables would include the tortoise and the hare, or the hare and the tortoise, uh, however you look at it. And we all know the story. The rabbit and the turtle are going to race each other, and we know that the rabbit is much faster and clearly is going to win, but the rabbit gets so far ahead, it gets cocky, it chills out, I think it takes a nap, and then the turtle just slowly walks on by and ends up winning the race because the rabbit fell asleep and forgot that it was in a race and got cocky, with the moral of the story being slow and steady wins the race. Another famous Aesop fable would be the fox and the hedgehog. I will be honest, I had never heard this one before, but it is listed as one of his more famous fables. And in this fable, a fox gets its tail caught in a bush and then gets swarmed with hungry mosquitoes. And then a passing hedgehog notices the fox being eaten alive by these mosquitoes and feels bad for the fox and asks if he would like him to drive the mosquitoes off. And the fox says no, because he thinks that if the mosquitoes currently that are feeding on him and getting full, if they go away, then a whole new group of mosquitoes is going to come in and bleed him to death. So he's like, just let these ones finish and then I should be fine. That's the end of the story. Perhaps the hedgehog maybe should have asked the fox, can I help you get your tail out of the bush? That, you know, maybe would have solved the problem a little better. Aesop didn't really consider that as part of his fable. Here's another one. The goose that laid the golden eggs. In this fable, a man and a wife owned a goose that laid one golden egg every day. And then basically one day they decided, I wonder how much gold this goose has inside of it. I love gold. The look of it, the taste of it, the smell of it, the texture. So they cut the goose open, killing the goose, oh. and discovered that the goose's innards were basically normal, just guts. There was no gold inside of the goose, but by killing the goose, they had deprived themselves of a golden egg every single day. Of course, the moral in this story, greed is bad. And then the last one I'll discuss is called The Fox and the Grapes. And this is where he Aesop apparently liked foxes in his stories. But a fox sees a bunch of grapes ripening on a vine on a hot summer day, and he's thirsty, and he thinks those grapes are going to quench my thirst. So he just tries jumping and jumping and jumping to get the grapes off of the vine, continuously failing to actually reach the grapes. Finally, he gives up, walks away saying to himself, I'm sure they were sour anyway, which is why we now have the term sour grapes grapes. But the moral of that story is that it's easy to despise what you can't attain. But again, just like with fairy tales, fables, morality is the common thread. What is morality? I'll tell you that the basic, most basic definition I could find of morality is the extent to which an action is right or wrong. But let's be clear, this is very subjective. Right and wrong, that varies from one person to another. I mean, look at the wars and murders for religion, politics, jihads, etc. I mean, it's perfectly acceptable for the right cause. But under any other circumstances, murder is the worst moral crime one could commit unless, you know, the government needs to send troops in and kill a bunch of people. Then it's okay. We're not gonna, you know, put these people in prison. They're soldiers. They were doing the right thing. Right thing. There you go. That is the whole subjective nature of right and wrong. And being subjective, morality is basically just an ideology meant to keep the human race in line and avoid complete anarchy. However, anarchy would simply mean letting humans behave like the animals that they are. We are the only species on the planet that needs rules to exist and coexist. So are we that clever? So before finally getting into the controversial topic of religious texts, I would like to point out what I call the Santa Claus effect. And this is where we basically use the 
idea of magical beans to keep our kids in line teaching morality and good behavior. Sound familiar? Let's talk about Santa Claus. He'll bring you presents if you're good. You'll get nothing if you're bad. So it's a very simple premise of using reward or punishment to drive good behavior. But let's not forget that we use the birth of Christ as the reason why Santa Claus is even celebrated, despite Christmas being nowhere close to Jesus's actual historically documented birthday. In fact, as we all know now that, you know, religious leaders used the date for Christmas to coincide with the winter solstice in order to counterattack against non-believers or what they thought to be like witches that celebrated the winter solstice. And oftentimes these people, you know, would be burned alive by these goody two-shoe Christian people. Again, right or wrong is very subjective. It's wrong to celebrate the winter solstice and not believe in my God. It's totally okay to burn you alive over a basket of kittens, you witch. The Tooth Fairy is another just magical creature, and of course the Tooth Fairy brings you money when your tooth falls out. Now, this isn't really so much trying to drive good behavior, but what we're trying to do is offset the fear and the pain and the oddity of losing teeth. It's just such a weird thing to a child, and it's going to happen with every single tooth. So by promising bribery and a monetary reward, all of a sudden the child looks forward to the pain and weirdness of losing all of their fucking teeth. I will say that as a father, I failed on more than one occasion where, you know, the kid put the tooth under the pillow and I was waiting until I knew they were asleep to get the tooth out from under the pillow without waking them up and put a little money underneath the pillow. And then, you know, the night went on. I got busy. I did other things. I went to bed and then my child would wake up and be like, Daddy, the tooth fairy forgot about me. And then I would have to lie and be like, oh, no, actually, she came into my room because she didn't want to wake you up and left the money with me. And I'm just going to mail your tooth to her, at which point I would rush into my bedroom, close the door so they couldn't see me rifling into my wallet to grab a few dollars and come back out and be like, here's your money. Where's your tooth? Yeah, that was a fail on my part. And that happened more than once. Let's talk about the Easter Bunny. The Easter Bunny is the weirdest one of all, in my opinion. And of course, very closely tied to a Christian holiday, because the Easter Bunny represents the day that Christ was resurrected. Cause our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wings. And we represent that day with a rabbit and eggs, despite the fact that rabbits don't lay eggs. Also, you know, there's nothing about the Easter Bunny that represents, embodies, or resembles anything from a Christianity perspective. It's merely using a cartoon-like character and candy to get small children to want to go to church and celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And we make older kids feel stupid for still believing in these silly make-believe characters. Like, if a 16-year-old still believes in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny, you're like, hmm, that child has problems. But it's okay to continue believing in the fairy tales of the religious writings. That's perfectly normal. Hypocrisy much? And don't think that these magical creatures and the rewards they bring aren't more important to the child than the holidays they supposedly represent. Like, for example, ask a kid on Christmas or Easter if they would rather get a visit from Santa or slash the Easter Bunny or a visit from Jesus. What's Jesus bringing, Mommy? Just hugs and love, son. Does he bring me presents? No. Oh, I'm sorry, son. I assure you the kid would rather see Santa or the Easter Bunny than Jesus. So we're just further diluting the existing fiction of biblical and religious stories to bribe young minds into a belief system for the sake of moral control. Here we go again with morals. So put on your seatbelt, get ready, because here we go. We're going to talk about, drumroll please. The Bible. Let's just talk about a few of the very most famous stories in the Bible that I consider to be 100% ridiculous. And it's amazing that people in these religions think of them as 100% truth. Let's start with Adam and Eve. God created, you know, one man, one woman. They had sex. They had two sons. 
One son killed the other. That pretty much should have been the end of existence of humanity right there. But apparently, you know, there's just other bloodlines happening that we didn't bother to mention in the Bible. These people weren't quite as important despite being created by the hand of God no differently than Adam and Eve, even though Adam and Eve were the sons of bitches that ate the fucking fruit and damned us all to hell. I do want to point out a joke that I, for some reason, have always found very funny. Women, probably not a big fan of this joke, but I'll tell you the joke anyway. So Adam had been created by God and he's walking around on the earth. He's enjoying all of the food that God has provided and the companionship of the animals, but it's just not quite the same. And one day he looks up to the heavens and says, God, I am so thankful for everything you have provided. However, is it possible that you could create another person like me that I could share my life with? God looks down and says, well, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. Adam thinks for a moment, looks back up at the heavens and says, what can I get for a rib? So yeah, Adam and Eve, total fiction, total stupidity. First off, who the fuck was writing this story down to even know that it happened? No one. I hate to say it, but if you think Adam and Eve is actually a real story, you're an idiot. Let's talk about Noah. All right, so Noah somehow managed to build this ginormous boat. There's a fellow by the name of Noah, built an ark. Everybody knows he built an ark. He said, what did Noah do? He said, well, he built an ark. But very few people know about the conversation that went on between the Lord and Noah. You see, Noah was in his rec room sawing away. He's making a few things for the home there. He's a good carpenter. It's vuba, 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 vuba. Noah. Somebody call? Vuba, vuba, vuba. Noah. Who is that? It's the Lord, Noah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Where are you? What do you want? I've been good. I want you to build an ark. Right. What's an ark? Get some wood, build it 300 cubits by 80 cubits by 40 cubits. Right. What's a cubit? Let's see, a cubit. I used to know what a cubit was. uh. Because God had decided, you know what? I fucked up. I kind of created a society and a planet that I don't like anymore. So I'm just going to start from scratch by murdering everyone with this global flood. And I'm going to ask this one dude, not only do you have to build a giant boat, but you have to get every animal on the planet, just two of them, one man, one woman, which means Noah must have been very good at determining boy versus girl. I've had a lot of boy cats and girl cats. Honestly, to this day, I couldn't just look at a cat and know if it's a boy cat or a girl cat. Dogs are different. You know, they have the, uh, you know, lipstick penises that come out or just sometimes large hanging testicles. But there's plenty of species out there that are not that discernible between male and female. Also, if God can create whatever the hell he wants, if God has the ability to flood the entire fucking planet, why did he need Noah? Why couldn't he just recreate the animals? Shit. Why couldn't he just have Noah and his family die and just recreate the world to begin with again? I'm going to create new humans. I'm going to create new animals. Why did he need a man to do his fucking creation work? Doesn't make any sense. Also want to point out, with the absolute destruction of the entire planet, had there been any type of written text about stories leading up to that point, they would have all been wiped out. So, you know, just make of that what you will. But, story of Noah, hate to say it, if you think that is a real story, you're an idiot. Let's talk about Jonah and the whale. I mean, this one is just dumb. 
But I assure you, there are people out there that think this is a real story because it's in the Bible and every word in the Bible is absolute truth. So Jonah is a character in the Bible who was drowning and God sent a whale to save Jonah from drowning. Why couldn't God just pick Jonah up out of the water and set him down on the beach? I don't know. But a whale came along, opened its mouth, managed to ingest Jonah without killing him, and then Jonah sat in the whale's stomach, unharmed and completely unfazed by the, you know, stomach juices that would normally break down anything in the whale's stomach, and Jonah spent three days and three nights in the whale's belly. I feel like I've even seen like cartoons depicting this story where Jonah was starting fires inside of the whale's belly. If you believe that Jonah and the whale is a real, true story, you are an idiot. I mean, straight up, if you believe that every single word in the Bible is absolutely the word of God and absolute truth, you are no different than a 40-year-old man who still believes in Santa Claus. And let's not forget that so many of the stories in the Bible, they meet all of the criteria of a fairy tale. And primarily, just like a fable, are trying to drive a sense of morality. I'm not saying that there's zero historical information in the Bible, but I gotta think that the majority of the Bible is straight up fiction. So going back to kind of what I was saying about like if, you know, with Noah, if all of any written history had more or less been written out because God didn't ask Noah to go collect all of the written history, he said, go get the animals. Go find out which ones have a vagina and which ones have a penis. Luckily, back then, none of the animals identified as anything else, so that probably made it a little easier on Noah. But, you know, even if somehow there had been, you know, documentation, historical evidence, writings, etc., you would think that stories of the Bible, the Old Testament, those things, you know, those have been around for a long, long time. Sorry, you would be incorrect. The first Bible was printed in the year 1455. That would be 1,455 years after Jesus's supposed death. But included in that Bible, in those writings, was an additional almost 2,000 years that would make up the Old Testament prior to Jesus entering the Bible. This would also include the creation of the world, you know, Adam and Eve. This would also include Noah, you know, where everything got wiped out and it was a complete reset by God. The first Quran was published in 1537. The first Torah, essentially the first Jewish religious text or basically the Old Testament of the Christian Bible, was released in 1474. So it took almost 1500 years for these writings to get published. You don't think, remember the telephone game. You don't think things might have, you know, got jumbled up along the way. It would be kind of like somebody writing a history of the 1800s in the year 3377 and getting everything absolutely right. Why do I mention the 1800s? Well, because that was before there was internet or social media, digital documentation of things that maybe could be referenced. You really think if someone wrote a history of the 1800s in 3477 that it would be 100% accurate? I don't think so. Also, let's not forget that, you know, hardcore Christians, religious people, they look at the Bible or their religious text for their religion as the word of God. That's why they think it is 100% accurate. It is the word of God. Bullshit. It is the word of man. It was written by men and was edited by kings many, many times over. And then, you know, not released for almost 15 centuries. I get upset that Stranger Things is making me wait a month and a half for the last two episodes of this season. Imagine waiting 1,500 years just to hear the story. But another way to kind of justify the fact that this is not the word of God and it is the word of man is to look at the fact that I want to say like only three of the five gospels actually wrote about the Immaculate Conception. That's kind of a biggie. If this were God's word being spoken to these people writing these stories, wouldn't he have told the same story to all of them? Were some of the disciples or the historians a little less worthy of keeping a secret? And God's like, I don't really trust Luke. I'm not going to tell him about the Immaculate Conception. Just doesn't make any sense that the stories don't line up from the exact same time period from people who were associated with each other during this time period. But it's very similar. You know, we, we fuck up our own history 
history all the time. Not even our own history, our own memories. We tend to sometimes have memories of certain things that that's not how it actually happened. It's how the human mind works. You know, just like you can have people who were raped as a child by an uncle or a priest. And until they go see a therapist at 55 years old to try and get hypnotized and quit smoking, something completely irrelevant, do they start to remember other shit? They have blocked it out of their mind. That memory doesn't even exist. So I've talked about Christianity enough and the Christian Bible. Let's talk about the 72 virgins, shall we? This one, oh boy, really fucking stupid. In the Islamic religion, martyring oneself in a jihad or, you know, essentially a war for your religion, when you die, you will be granted 72 virgins as a reward. Again, let's go back to Santa Claus, the Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny. It's all using incentives and happily ever after to get you to do something that your religion wants you to do or your society. I'd also like to point out that, you know, if you get up to heaven and you've got your 72 virgins and you're super horny, even if you only fuck one of your virgins every day after 72 days, just over two months, you got a lot of worn out bitches for the rest of eternity. No more virgins. You know, virgins, that's only once. That hymen ain't growing back. So is that really much of a reward? Imagine you're fucking more than one of them a day. You want a threesome. Well, you just cut your time down until you got a bunch of worn out bitches. Come on! So these religious texts and fairy tales, fables, they all meet the same criteria. Morals, magic, happy endings. You know, there's a reason why society is drifting further and further from religion as science and common sense develops. I understand the desire, the drive for people to want to have faith, to want to feel like there's something more to this life, but unfortunately they're placing the idea of being more to this life in the afterlife instead of focusing on this life. I'm not trying to ask anyone to, you know, who's religious to no longer be religious. As I've mentioned before on the podcast, sometimes I'm jealous of people who have absolute faith because sometimes they're living a happier, more content, more stable life than I do because I believe there ain't shit afterwards and this is all I got. But it also means that every day I'm trying to make the most out of every single day because I don't think when my time comes that I'm no longer on this earth or conscious or alive that there is a me. I'm just gone. All right, that's enough talking about things and pissing off all of my religious listeners. I want to remind everyone, if you want to follow me, which I know you won't, on social media, you can do so on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, at JeffBecomesJeff. If you would like to check out my original music, you can do so by going to pretty much any streaming music service like Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, whatevs, and search ghosts, you know, like the ones that haunt you, like the ones I don't believe in, ghosts by Jeff Schaefer, J-E-F-S-H-A-F-F-E-R. You can also go visit my website at jeffschafer.com, where you can also find a link to my Etsy store. Thank you again, everyone, for continuing to tune in to the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast. Until next time, I'm Jeff. And I'm Jeff. to the devil and I prayed and I showed him the mess that I've made and I cried and I cried and I cried a million times over but the devil just laughed in my face I went to the God of fire and said can you turn the heat a little higher 
covered me with water So I went to the Lord of the sea Said, won't you come wash over me Cause the roads and the woods Have been winding a million times over But she receded from Covered him with water from the land. 